0: If you would, open your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some Bibles on the back cart that you're certainly welcome to use and follow along. And I'd encourage you to do so, um, like the Bereans, to study the scripture, to test what I'm saying and make sure it is true. Or you can simply follow along in your insert in the bulletin. I am not going to read, I think last week I read more than was in the insert, and this week I'm going to read less than is in the insert. And again, that's not because of Cindy, that's because of the fickleness of, of your pastor and uh, where the Lord took me. So today we're going to read the first nine verses. Um, why Joshua, you want, might wonder, those of you who are members and regular attenders know that, uh, that we have recently studied uh, the book of Mark and finished the book of Mark and uh, I have wrestled quite a bit. Anna can testify to this over the past couple weeks as to where we should go next. Uh, as Paul told the church uh, at Ephesus in the book of Acts, I'm interested in teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God and not simply on hobby horses that I would like to, to speak on or to drill into you over and over again or things that I think you might want to hear from me. I'm interested in preaching the whole counsel of God. And what that leads me to do is to preach and to walk through with you books of the Bible. And not just New Testament books, though those are also rich, but also Old Testament books. And since we've been in Mark uh, for the past year plus, I wanted to be in the Old Testament. And so here we are in the book of Joshua this morning. Now we're not going to study, I will say this, we're not going to study this book exhaustively in in regards to verse by verse, chapter by chapter like we did with the book of Mark. I'm going to jump around. This is a very long book with lots of long stories, long narratives in it. And so I'm not going to be uh, touching every single narrative, every single part of this book, but we'll be jumping around looking at different highlights. Now, before I uh, jump in to Joshua, I know many of you have grown up in the church and you know exactly where Joshua fits in the grand story of what God is doing in history. But some of you didn't. Some of you didn't grow up in the church. And so you're wondering, okay, before you airdrop me into this book in the Old Testament, where are we in the story? Well, Joshua, of course, is the sixth book in your Bible. Um, it's the first book following what is known as the Pentateuch the first five books of Moses. And that's no mistake that Joshua finds its place in sixth place. Because in many ways, Joshua continues and completes what we find in the first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch, as it's called. And it began way back in Genesis, that book of beginnings. It was about the year 2100 B.C., around that time, And it was then that Yahweh set apart a man named Abram. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. You will be my people. I will make you into a great nation. That nation will be a blessing for others. I will give you and your descendants a rich land in which to settle. And that promise that came from God, from Yahweh to Abram, was then renewed and reiterated to Isaac and Jacob. Eventually, he found his way through Joseph and his story, and the providential uh, working of God to get Joseph into Egypt to save his people from from uh, famine. And then the people ended up in slavery, and for four hundred years they endured captivity until about fourteen forty six BC. God heard his people. God chose Moses to be a leader to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And you must know, uh, you must know this morning that Moses is a towering figure in the history of Israel. And not only leading them out of slavery, but being used by God to formalize this relationship between Yahweh and Abram and all of his descendants. And Moses did that at Mount Sinai where the relationship was formalized. And yet, despite that standing, and despite that relationship, Moses and all of his generation, as a result of their disobedience, the Lord said, would not see the land of promise. And yet, here they are, Joshua 1, literally knocking on the door of the land of promise. And so, that's where we pick up. In the grand story that God is writing in choosing a people for himself, in redeeming a people for himself. And so I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's word. As I prayed again, this is ancient history. This is indeed historical, but this is meant more, this is meant for more than just informing our minds. This is meant to show us a God that we need and to remind us of his ways, which are given for our life. So listen with that in mind, Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses's assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Be strong. Be courageous. It's the memorable command that comes out of this passage. Three times we hear it verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, and then we'll hear it again in verse 18. It's the phrase that adorns countless amounts of t shirts and mugs and plaques in our culture. Be strong. Be courageous. Amen. You are dismissed. No, how? How, Lord? How do we be strong and how do we be courageous? Do we, do we just do it like Nike says? Just do it. Be like Josh. Is this a book about an extraordinary human being named Joshua who is at the top of his class I mean, a real go-getter, someone we're supposed to strive like and emulate, be strong and courageous. That's not how. Joshua is certainly the primary human actor in this drama, but Joshua is not the hero of this story. So when the Lord tells Joshua to be strong and courageous and he tells his people through Joshua to be strong and courageous, he's not telling them to muster it up. You're you're a special guy. You're a special people. No, the Lord says, be strong and courageous and he does so by wrapping that command in his grace. The grace of promise. The grace of presence and the grace of his precepts. And those are the three areas that we want to explore this morning from these first opening verses of Joshua chapter 1. Promise, presence, and precepts. precepts. We're far removed from the circumstances and from the day of Joshua, but this same grace is for us. It's for our lives. It's for our circumstances. And so three foundational truths that I want us to meditate on this morning. The first one is this. God's promises are certain. God's promises are certain. Did you notice how this book, this new story, this new drama opened up? Once upon a time, Moses was dead. It's quite a way to begin a story. And remember, this isn't just any death. This is the most significant figure of the last generation of these people. The one whom the scriptures say there will never be anyone like this dude. Exodus, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 34.10, the previous book, ends this way. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And he's dead. Not only that, but this is a generation of people who have been wandering literally in the wilderness for their whole lives. They have watched, they have endured countryman after countrywoman die off around them, and the one figure who is left, who has dominated their recent history, now is gone. Moses is dead, and un tested assistant leader has been put in his place and this unknown expanse with the mighty fearsome Canaanites lies before them. I mean you can imagine what these Israelites might be feeling as they stand on the banks of the Jordan. Put yourself in their place. Put yourself in their doubt. Moses' death maybe isn't even just the end of an era. Maybe it's the end of, of the promise. Well, The Lord's words to Joshua, and therefore to all his people this morning, remind us that though life around us swirls, God remains constant. And his promises are not dependent upon us. Listen to these words of assurance. Verse two, go into the land that I am giving to them. Verse three, every place that that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Notice the past tense. It's a done deal. It's already yours. Simply walk in it. Verse six, I swore to their fathers that I would give it. Some of the words, some of the most dreaded words that I hear as a father, and I know many of you fathers and mothers can relate to this. Words that just make my heart sink is when my children say to me, but dad, you promised. I hate that. because I know that I am a man of broken promises. We are a people of broken promises, but we serve a God, Joshua 1 reminds us, who always does what he says despite us. And I know that in some respect, we as a congregation, we we thought about this. We thought about this truth that God's word is true, that God's promises are certain. We did so back in Mark 13. I'm sure you all remember that sermon verbatim, right? No. We did. We talked about it. God's promises are certain, but we need to hear it every week, every day, which is why we're here each Lord's Day, day in, week in, week out. If we would just really believe that God is who he says he is, that he will in fact do what he says he will do, so much of our anxiety, so much of our fear, so much of our disobedience would subside. God's promises are certain. He has reconciled you to himself by the blood of his son. You are a son, you are a daughter that is certain he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her He will care for his own, working all things for the good of those who love him. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. You can have joy when you face trials of many kinds. He is right now at the Father's right hand preparing a place for you. He will return. You will all see it, and he will take you. To be with him, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We will all see him face to face and live for eternity in rest. These promises are certain. But of course, this brings up an interesting tension for us in the book of Joshua. God is going to do these things just as he said he would do them. But Joshua and God's people are responsible to carry it out. The part we play is important. Indeed, it's essential to God's purposes being played out in our lives. God is implying to Joshua, gird up your sword, Joshua. Get ready. Not... Make sure you got a good seat on the hillside to watch me accomplish all this. It's interesting that we can see that tension even here. God's promise of land, God's promise of rest was held out for Moses' generation. It was real. It was true. But God's people weren't ready to receive it. And so they didn't. The writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 3, verses 16, he says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. God's promises are certain, yes, we got to grab hold of them. We've got to walk in them. God was not less faithful to his people. The issue was that they did not grab a hold of what he had promised them. And interestingly enough, this generation, Joshua's generation, that stands on the banks, they won't either, at least not fully, I mean, look at verse four. Verse four describes this expanse of land that God holds out for his people from the wilderness in the south to Lebanon in the north to the great river in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This huge expanse of land. And yet history tells us that even in Israel's heyday under the reign of Solomon, under the reign of King David, their borders did not expand to this size. Why? Because they settled for less. Certainly they were blessed, but they could have had more. Think about that. I mean, the Holy Spirit can apply this to your lives and to your hearts in a variety of different ways. Both to us as a corporate body as well as to you as individual followers of Jesus. What could we be missing? I said this before, the scriptures proclaim it. we don't receive because we don't ask. And we don't believe that God will give it. One commentator so nicely put it, he says, None of us has less of God and his promised blessings than we truly desire. We settle for the attainable. And we miss the vast dimensions of God's potential grace. God's promises are certain. Do we believe that God will keep His word? Are we eager to receive, to pursue, to ask for all that He has promised? To dream. To dream in humility and dependence That's the first truth for us to consider this morning. And the second is this, God's presence is assured. God's presence is assured. We've heard a phrase a lot this year, especially beginning of the year, the peaceful transfer of power. The peaceful transfer of power. It's a phrase that describes one of the hallmarks of our American democracy a concept that at times, maybe just a little bit, Americans have wondered, is it really going to happen again as it's always happened, this peaceful transition of power? See, Moses' death, I've already pressed into you that Moses' death has left a ginormous hole. Everyone knew it. Not the least of whom was Joshua himself, this man who had been introduced to the story way back in Exodus chapter 17 and who by Exodus 24 had been given the title Moses' assistant. History certainly tells us that Joshua had been groomed for this challenge. He was ready, but this was still such a daunting task. I mean, really, this was, this was mission impossible for Joshua and for the people of God. There's no lengthy on-ramp for Joshua to kind of get his feet wet a little bit, dip his toes in. No, Joshua's picking up the mantle, and war is literally on the doorstep. Don't you wonder what Joshua might be feeling I mean, he's well accomplished. There's no doubt about that. But this task is impossible. Joshua, take this group of tired, wandering pilgrims, well-versed in the care of livestock. Take them into this foreign land of, of defensive fortresses, unknown war machines, crazy, godless pagans, and wipe them out. Take it for yourself, Joshua. So you need to feel that. You need to feel that even though you know the story. You know about the sun standing still. You know about the walls that fell, the sound of the trumpets. But Joshua doesn't see that. God's people don't, see all that right now. They see their leader dead and a daunting enemy before them. But what they do here is this. Verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Verse 9, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's presence is assured. And the effect, the effect of God's presence, of the certainty of His promises and His presence is Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Friends, to love someone is to be with them. To be there for them. To never abandon them. And God loves you. In Christ, He has made you His own. Joshua's name literally means the Lord saves and indeed The Lord will save as we will soon see, but he will save not just here, not just in this story of conquest and taking of land that was promised by Yahweh, but through the one to come who will take the Greek version of that name, Joshua, and will be named Jesus. Jesus will come and his presence will be with his people in a way that these people on the banks of Jordan could only dream about. Emmanuel, God with us. And he didn't just stay for a while and then abandon us here on earth. He left his spirit with us who is in this place, who is in those who are his own. And so when he said when he, when he ascended into heaven and he said, I am with you always, it's true. He is with you. God's people of old didn't experience that kind of fullness, that kind of intimacy with God that we can enjoy. And friends, this is not, this is not a mere platitude. This is where strength and courage comes from. I've spoken this to many going through such difficult times. God's promises are certain. His presence is assured. I've had this spoken to me recently from brothers who sit in pain in hospital beds. I know that the Lord is with me. Children of God, you are never alone. You are never abandoned. And this is not only strength and courage in bringing comfort in difficult times, but this is strength and courage in waging war against sin. Hebrews 13, verses five and six, the writer says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, this truth, it's it's a weapon for comfort. It's a weapon for contentment. It's a shield against the onslaught of gaining security in anything else but the fact that I am the Lord's through Christ and that he is with me, that his promises are true. And because I'm wrapped in all that grace, I can be strong. I can have courage. That's the only way I can do it. So believe it. Grab a hold of it. God is with you. One last truth for us to consider briefly from this passage this morning. And it's simply this. Walk according to His word. Walk according to His Word. The fact of the matter is that many of us neglect the very things that keep these truths before us day in and day out. We're too busy doing, and we need to spend more time meditating. Joshua's generation, think about it. Joshua's generation will be the first generation with the written Word. The book of the law. The five books of Moses has now been given to them. No longer will the norm be that God meets with his people and communicates with his people through the face-to-face interactions with Moses. The words inscribed and given to them at Mount Sinai will now be their lifeblood. And so the Lord says, for the sake of your prosperity, you've got to be all about this book. You got to meditate on it. You got to chew on it. You got to digest it slowly. You have to do what it says and this is the final and ultimate source of strength and courage for your lives. And these people they only had the first 5 books. You've got 61 more. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1 says, who delights in his law. Psalm 111, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. And so yes, God's word is to be memorized, to be meditated on, to be remembered, to be read, to be consulted, to be obeyed. This is where strength lies. I know you're sitting there and you're saying, is the pastor just telling me to read my Bible more? Yes! And don't just read it. Memorize it. Meditate it. Write it on post-it notes and stick it on your mirror in the morning. Take hold of the means of grace that God has given you. His promises are certain. His presence is assured. Walk according to his word. I really think Joshua is going to be a good study for pilgrims such as us. We who are like God's people of old, we are longing for a place of rest. We are often discouraged as we look at the circumstances around us. We are people who need to remember that God is with us. That His promises are real and true. That we can have strength and courage as we press on according to His Word. Martin Luther, the great reformer that we celebrate in the Protestant Church. Martin Luther defined, it, defined faith by five words. Yes. This is for me. That's what we need to say this morning. Yes, this is for me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your promises, for your presence, and for your word. Such simple things. and yet so often neglected in our lives. Father, there are children in here, there are young people who are just charting the courses for their lives. May these truths be particularly impressed upon them that as children of the covenant, as those who have come to you through Jesus. That the promises are for them. That your presence is with them even when they feel alone. They're not alone. They're never alone. And that your word is life for them. Holy Spirit, we all need to hear it. We all need to live by it. Do your work, I pray, for the glory of your name. Amen.